she told me one time, don't ever call me Miss Becky, I'm your wife, or Sister Becky. She said, don't call me Sister Becky, I'm your wife. So thank you, honey. What a great job. Turn with me to Acts 27, and as you're turning, let me tell you, she has agonized over what to sing this morning for several days, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, I don't enjoy it while she's agonizing, uh, but uh, I appreciate her wanting to sing and do what God wants her to do. And I, she'll ask me sometimes, and of course, I give her the right answer, whatever you want to do, honey. Uh, and sometimes I'll make suggestions, but she looked at some new stuff, and uh, her and Elena's working on some uh, new stuff, and she just was back and forth, back and forth. I had no idea what she was going to sing this morning. Uh, but I'm thrilled that it was that. Because this morning, as we look in chapter 27, today and next week, we'll finish the Acts of the Apostles. The Apostle Paul has been chased by the Pharisees. He's been chased by 40 assassins. He's been chased by a thousand Pharisees. He has been attacked from every side. By this point in his life, he had been beaten. He had been stoned. And just when you think it can't get any worse, he is now fixing to traverse through the Mediterranean Sea to Rome to stand before Caesar. He has stood before the proconsulate. He has stood in Caesarea. He has stood before Felix and Festus and Agrippa. And now he is going to see Augustus. But there was still life in his lungs. And as long as there's breath in any believer, there's a chance that Storms will blow into your life. There is a scripture that Jesus speaks about in the realm of hurt and pain in our lives uh, with the analogy of a woman who is pregnant. And for nine months, uh, the child grows. Not the embryo, not the fetus. The child grows. Y'all with me? That one issue ought to decide how you vote, by the way. God will honor a country that honors the life of children. Trust God. Don't trust politicians. Don't trust what everybody tells you. Trust what God's Word says. You trust the preacher on that one. God will honor the country who honors the life of unborn children. Well, Jesus said for nine months there's, there's pains you know, and being married and uh, seeing my wife give birth, I, I saw firsthand a baby brain, you know, where it's like you can't, women can't remember and things begin to change. And I would just look over and Becky, she would just be absent-minded and she'd be standing there holding her keys and say, I cannot, and you know, you can hear them ringing. I cannot find my keys. And I'm saying, and you're trying to, do it without, because you know you're going to be the brunt. It doesn't matter how it happens. Maybe they're in your hand. You know, and I just look at her and I go, 
because that baby would be sucking on her brain. Things change. Her life changed. And then 17 hours with Emily and 22 hours labor. You think my wife sings good. Listen, she's a hero when it comes to childbirth. 17 hours labor with Emily, 22 hours with Ethan. And I saw her physically just at her wit's end. I thought she would kill the guy who came to try to do her, her uh, epidural. He said, you need to be still. She said, turn around, let me stick this in your back. I said, that's my wife. But you know, Jesus said, after the child is born, there is no remembrance of the pain in the sense of you're still agonizing. You remember that faint memory and you say, oh yeah, it was bad, but it doesn't compare with the joy of this child. Well, to put it in the practical sense, I wasn't going to mention this, but since she sang it, that has been our I, I, that, that song was our hope in some very hopeless days. When the doctor said, you can't have children. Give up. Do what you want. Spend your money on something else. It's just not meant to be. And she would get up and sing that song. She never could finish the second verse. She never could. I mean, she would sing it, but she would kind of mumble through it. Uh, and uh, she would, but it was a different sound. It was a, a kind of a sadness, but a hope, a hope that was there. And she kept quoting that scripture, praying, seeking God, and Him giving her the desires of her heart, and waiting patiently on the Lord. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And then one day, God delivered us from that that hope, that 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 endless array of doctor's visits and all that and uh, we had children and the sound of that song changed it was not a song of hope looking forward it was a song of joy looking backward and so when you hear that second verse I know he has the answer now it has been said that everyone in this room today everyone either just got out of a storm or in the middle of one or I hate to break it to you about to go into one. That's the way life is. The Apostle Paul seemed to be in an endless storm. I mean, when you read the historical side of what was going on in his life, but when you hear about him praising the Lord and praying and and rejoicing in what God is doing in, in whatever state he's in to be content, you'd think he was sitting in a pastoral study with that, that smelled of rich mahogany and leather-bound books. But Paul was in a dungeon. I was reminded this week as I read from Isaiah where they were trying to kill him, and one way to keep from killing him, they had stuck him down in an empty well that was filled with mud at the bottom so that he sank up in the mire. And the only way to get him out, they took some old rags, tied it together, and looped it under his arm and pulled him out. He was in the midst of a storm. Everybody hated him. His own people hated him for telling them the truth. You ever went through a storm like that? You felt like 
hey, I've got to tell my kids the truth. And when you tell them the truth, they hate you for it. When you tell your co-workers, when you tell your teammates, when you stand for what is right, the storms of life will blow. He said in Acts 27, verse 22, I exhort you to be of good cheer. What did Jesus tell Paul when he said, I've sent you to Jerusalem, now you're going to Rome? He started by saying, be of good cheer. So all Paul is doing is passing on the note. He's telling them what God has told him. I want to encourage you with something. Man, if you missed last Sunday night, Coy Tippins shared his testimony. Man, it was so rich and, and just so real. You know what Coy said? You know what Coy told us? Exactly what God had told him. Exactly what God had done. He didn't have to make up something. He didn't have to go read a book because it was his own life. And he just shared what God had done in his life. Well, you know what Paul did? Paul shared with him what Jesus had done for him and was doing in him. That's all you have to do to tell people about Jesus. Paul was told, be of good cheer. So now here, he tells the men, in the midst of this storm, be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but the ship's going to go away. There will be the loss of ship. But there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. So he believed what God had told him. And lo, God hath given them, given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. For I believe God. Y'all believe God? Then be of good cheer. Smile every once in a while. Look like you believe in a risen Savior who is Christ the Lord. Stop with the whining and complaining that the world is doing you wrong. What do you think they're going to do? You're a Christian. You don't belong here. Your citizenship is somewhere else. He said, be, he started with be of good cheer and he finishes with be of good cheer. For I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Oh, that we may have that faith. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. I'm born again. Y'all hear me? I'm saved by the precious blood of the Lamb. Jesus has set me free. He has paid my price. He has redeemed me. And through the remission of sin, I've been justified. I'm being sanctified. And one day, I'm going to be glorified. But in between, I'm stuck on this island. And while I'm here on this island, through the shipwrecks of life and the storms blowing, there's going to be hard days. Y'all ever had a hard day? Some of you fans thought it was going to be a hard night. I wear my tie not in honor of a certain team, but of a certain deacon that I completely and utterly support in whatever he is for. Because I love him. I did. And I thought, no, they can't lose. 
They can't lose. I, 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 I cannot... I cannot lose the deacon right now. I've got to be able to retain <laughs> this deacon. And, you know, so praise the Lord. Still not going to say it. <laughs> but, you know, honestly, there's people today that feels like their world ended yesterday based on a score. We've all seen it. Based on the fact that they do not feel like the world is validating them. Whether it's a game or a job or relationship, there's people who take their lives every day because they think they're not loved. They're going through storms of life where they're losing jobs and they're facing medical issues and their children won't have anything to do with them. And all kinds... Listen, if there's a possible storm, Satan has thought it up. But the storm is just an overlay in the existence of peace. But peace was there when the storm got there, and peace will be there when the storm ends. Some of the most egregious sins in this world, God didn't call you to be judged. He called you to be kind. It don't cost you anything to be kind. It doesn't cost you anything to smile with the grace of God and, and show the world outwardly what is been done inwardly. See, in verse 3 we see, Julius was kind to Paul. He courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty while they were here. He gave him liberty. Now, he's a prisoner. He gave him liberty to go into his friends to refresh himself. I want to tell you something. Before we even get in the midst of the storm, storm's just kind of starting... I want to remind you of something. Our Heavenly Father sends care in the midst of crisis. Y'all remember when you first got married and you was broke as a convict? Boy, I do. You remember it, don't you, Big? And it would be amazing. It was absolutely, utterly amazing. Does anybody... In that shape, remember being in that shape, and God, and somehow something came in the mail, or you found something in a pants pocket, or in a jacket pocket, or, or you got some kind of refund you didn't know you were going to get. Any of that ever happened to anybody else besides me? Any of that happened? If you were not broke, if you'd have had everything you wanted in the world, would you have been able to just do what you did and testify that God? Did it work in your life right there? See, if we've got all that we ever wanted, then when are we ever going to see God? It's amazing to me. Listen, not too long ago, well, five years to be exact, we received a letter in the mail that had a check in it from an insurance company. Can you believe that? An insurance company sent us a check. I thought it was always the other way around. There's no way it could reverse. But inside the envelope with the check was this real nice letter. And it says, Dear Matt C. Brady, Happy birthday. Congratulations on reaching this, this mile mark in your life. And now that you've reached the age of 50, we're sending you a refund for meeting this age. Some people say, well, you're, you're happy about 
Dude, if I'd have known they were going to give me money, I'd turn 50 when I turned 40. I mean, really? It was so, I, we didn't know that. We didn't expect that. That was pretty cool. But then they had another envelope and said, oh, you got two teenage kids. Send us three arms, half your house, and mortgage your entire future. In the midst of crisis, God will send care. Has anyone ever encouraged you? On a deep, dark day, somebody encouraged you? Listen, Timmy encourages me every Sunday morning. When he's through playing, most of you never see it because Matt's praying the offertory or praying the offertory. Timmy always puts his hands on, his sho- on my shoulders and prays of me. That encourages me. Encourages me. That's a friend indeed. Because they're a friend in need. There are others who text and encourage me that, that lift me up and, 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 and there are days that you don't know that I feel defeated rejected, dejected, despondent, and it feels like all I've heard is problems, and I don't know how to tell anybody to help them because I can't fix my own problems. And somebody will come alongside me and says, I don't know what kind of day you're having, but I just want to tell you, man, I love you. I was thinking about you. God laid you on my heart. And so here it is. Amen? I'm thankful that in the midst of crisis, God knows before I know, and the person who usually is the care don't even have a clue. They're just willing and obedient. Are you willing to be the care that God uses for somebody else? There may be somebody this morning, you need to slow down. And I know some of you don't like to shake nobody's hand, and I know some of us are germaphobes, but somebody may need you to encourage them. God may have it on you to lift somebody up. God's laid somebody on your heart or right then when I said that. God did it. Don't you leave here being disobedient. Don't you leave here being disobedient. Listen, our Father sends care in the midst of crisis. But notice what happens. He said in verse 4, And when we had launched from thence, we sailed into Cyprus because the winds were contrary. You ever just got up and it felt like everywhere you went, you were into a headwind? Huh? Feels like you cast your anchors out. It's like the parking brake is on. You know what I mean? You can smell something burning and things won't go, but you just can't for the life of you figure it out. He said that the winds were contrary and when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us there on, or therein. And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Snidus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete, over against Salome. And hardly passing it, came into a place which is called the Fair Havens. Now whereunto was the city of Lacia. Listen, the world's miseries are often ours. 
There were others on this ship. They were going through other places. And this contrary wind was against the whole ship and anyone else that was going that way. The centurion was there. His other soldiers were there. See, we're part of the world and we cannot avoid the trials and tribulations. God didn't call us to fill up foods and barrels and go hide on a mountaintop. God did not call us to go hide in caves and seal ourselves off from the world. How can you be light in darkness, salt in an unsavory world, if you're completely separate? We have absolutely obliterated and taken out of context the Scripture, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. My dad never spent a day in college, sure never went to seminary, but he was smart enough to say God called us and He has put us in the world, but not to be of the world. How are you going to witness to lost people if you're never around any? Y'all hear me? How are you going to share the love of Christ with a lost and dying world if you completely and utterly separate yourself from anybody that vastly resembles lostness. That's listen, I, I can't understand why completely why God would take the Apostle Paul that wrote more books of any any other author in the New Testament and cause his life to end when it did. It could have went longer, could have wrote more books, could have done other things to help other people, because God was honored in it and God was glorified in it, and that's good enough for me. It was good enough for Paul. We cannot avoid the miseries of this world. When the stock market crashes, 401ks go down. Can't avoid that every time. When there are recessions and depressions, even the most godly of people who have given faithfully in tithes and offerings will suffer. The most faithful of Jews had to go to Babylon with the rest of them. Because of the disobedience of mankind, of, of the nation of Israel. We need to understand it may not be directly because of us, but indirectly because of our sin and the sins of the world is why the world's in the shape it's in. Before seeing the storms of life, we can see it. So listen, Paul, we may have seen it. You may look off and see it afar off. I remember when. Uh, we had only been married a few years and Becky's brother was in the Navy. He was stationed in Norfolk uh, on an aircraft carrier, the newest carrier of the fleet, the USS George Washington. Unbelievable. Absolute. Matter of fact, that day, we went on a de dependent cruise with him uh, one, one day and we flew up there, went out on the ship. They took us out 50 miles allowed us up on the flight deck when they were launching jets. It was like the coolest, greatest hour and a half of my life. Now that was just the, the time we were on deck for the flight show. The rest of it was the absolute longest, most boring day of my life. Which started at 5 o'clock that morning and ended when we pulled back in at 7 o'clock that night. But one time he was scheduled to have leave. And he was going to drive home meet us, and we were going to Panama City for a vacation. He needed a vacation. We needed a vacation. 
we'd rented a two-room uh, hotel, whatever, condo place, and man, we were looking forward to it. John was looking forward to it. And all of a sudden, it was like Dorian. Some hurricane began to blow in the Atlantic. And it was sweeping in, and it was headed toward the East Coast. And at about a week out, they put them on call and put them on watch. And said, you've got to watch. Nothing's canceled yet, but you're on the first step of alert. And about three days out, they stepped it up to a warning. And they said, unless something major changes, everything will, will be canceled. 48 hours or 24 hours later, 48 hours from the time we were supposed to leave, they sent out word to everyone on that ship, all leave is canceled, all, all personnel is to immediately come to the ship because of the hurricane. We cannot face a hurricane in port. We must take it to sea. And it's better to take that, that hurricane head on than to be tied against the port. And so he didn't come on vacation. He got on that ship. Why? Because he was able to see it. Sometimes we can see the storms coming. But that does not mean we can run and hide. If they would have stayed and hid and said, Oh no, we may have to go out there. We might get seasick. Then there may have been a great loss to that ship, that brand new ship, as it beat against the dock. So many times in our life, we're afraid to face the storms head on, realizing, listen to me, we have the captain of the sea. I don't know if y'all know this. He told a storm to be still one time and it obeyed him. Matter of fact, he did it twice. And not only did he say, hey, hush, and it stopped. But one time, he just got out and walked in the middle of it. Remember when you was a kid and you was not afraid to get dirty? You remember when you actually embraced it a little bit? And you'd go out and you wasn't thundering and lightning, but you'd go out and you'd stomp. You didn't pull on your, 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 your mud boots. You didn't have to have uh, waders to do it. You went out barefooted. You jumped in mud holes and played. If you didn't, you've lived a boring existence. Get out and stomp and just pour down rain, laugh, have the biggest time. Listen, Jesus just got out of the boat and walked on it. That's who we serve. In the midst of the storm, He's having a party. We need to see that foreseeing the storm does not mean we can run and hide from it. But look for ways God may use us. Look at verse 12. And because the haven, now it's called fair havens, everything that looks good isn't. As I believe the Gatlin brothers said one time, all that glitters is not gold. Y'all with me? And what do they call, what do they call the stone that looks like gold but isn't? Reckon why they call it that. Because many a fool has chased things that had no value. And it's not just a rock, is it, that'll make somebody a fool. But listen, it said here in verse 12, 
and because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence, if by any means they might attain to finish. And there to winter, where is the haven of Crete, and lie toward the south, west, and northwest. I want you to understand what I'm about to tell you, because this is against modern popular belief, which in itself proves the case. Beware of the majority's desire for comfort. Well, I just don't believe our church ought to do that. That's not the way we've always done it. I don't like the lights down, and I don't like this up, and I don't like black back there, and I don't want all them colored lights, and we need to just use hymn books, and we need to do this, and we need to... Listen. Get over yourself. We all have our preferences. Some people think I'm crazy for wearing a suit on Sunday morning. I don't care. I don't. I'm going to wear a suit on Sunday morning. That's just who I am. It's what I do. It's the way I was raised. I'm not, everybody don't have to wear a suit. But I'm going to wear a suit. That's what I do. And I'm not going to change just because everybody else is doing it. Y'all with me? Just because everybody else eats collard greens don't mean I'm going to. I can assure you of that. Y'all want to go graze like a cow? You can go eat all the weeds you want. I'll eat the cow when he's done. I'm just not going to do it. If you don't know what you're missing, preacher, I know what it smells like. I sure am glad I'm missing it. My wife likes rutabagas. She cooks them on the porch. Because we ain't cooking no rutabagas in the house. Y'all with me? And my mother says, oh, you don't, you don't know what you're missing. I said, oh, Becky knows what, what it is, and she can have my part. That just proves my point. She said, what do you mean by that? I said, just however you want to take it. <laughs> Beware of the majority's desire for comfort. The majority does not mean it's right. How many of you ever had somebody tell you, just because everybody else jumps off a cliff don't mean you ought to. How many of you ever jumped off a cliff because somebody did? I knew it'd be me and you, Timmy. Yeah, I mean, we did it. I watched a boy do it behind me one day. And I've told you this story. I was the next to last one off the rock that day in Sweetwater Creek. It's about 18, 20 foot off the ground. And we would go down there and jump off a rock, and we had the garden hose tied to a tree to pull ourselves back up. And I was the next to the last one off. That sounds like fun, don't it? I do it today. Not today, because I did it on Sunday and it didn't work out well. I do it tomorrow, maybe. I was the next to the last off. The last guy went off. 6'4, 220 pounds. And he jumped. Yeah, jumped off. Because we all did it. The problem was. Everybody before him could swim. He couldn't. And he literally did it because he felt like he would be too embarrassed if he didn't. My daddy used to say, it's better to be a live chicken than a dead duck. 
And that's dumb as a hammer, but it's, it, it, it sounds dumb, but it's really smart. Truth is, me and several other boys had to work together to pull that boy out of the creek that day. He almost drowned because he followed the majority. Following the majority has led people to prison. It's led people to abuse. It's led people to divorce. It's led people into war. It's led them into the most ungodly of circumstances. I'm telling you, the Bible said we're different. We're a peculiar people. You don't have to look like the world, sound like the world, act like the world. You're not of the world. Ben, be careful what you desire. It said in verse 13, and when the south wind blew softly, oh, we like that soft breeze. Felt good after that rain last night, didn't it? A little bit of breeze, feels good. We're like, oh, I'm so glad, I'm so glad. It's not so hot. Yeah, and it break off about 40 degrees. Oh, can y'all turn the heat up? I'm about to freeze to death. I can't wait for summer. A quick we forget. No, just sit there and wallow in the cold for a little while. It said here, when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they loosed from there. You go to bed, everything's fine. You wake up in the morning, something's broke. The world's gone haywire. Somebody's lost their mind and done something they shouldn't have done. And we read the headlines what has happened during the night. They desired to be set free only to run straight into the storm. Because you see, the world has no direction in the storm. They don't, they don't know. Look in verse 15. And when the ship was caught in this storm and could not bear up into the wind, they let her drive. You know what they did? They pulled the sails down because they couldn't control. They, they tried to just hold the rudder to keep it from being broke, but they had to go wherever the wind was taking them. They had no control. Are you living a complete out-of-control life today? You're just, you're just trying to put on a facade, it looks like you've got things together. But literally, you know, we, we talk about trying to get our ends to meet. We can't even get it in closer than this. I mean, listen, if we can get them to touch, that's a big success. We can't even get them in the same ballpark because it seems like life's chaos. Our job's chaos. I, I hadn't read my Bible in a while. I was doing regular and I've gained weight and I've done this and I've lost weight and I've got behind on some bills and I've made so-and-so bad and somebody's mad at me and it just seems like life is chaos and the world is driving you with everything Charles Swindoll called the tyranny of the urgent and we're running out around putting out little fires while there's this huge blaze in the middle of our life that God says you need to tend to this first. And when we get our heart right with God, it doesn't mean all the little fires are going to go out. But it does mean we've got the heavenly fire department to take care of. Be careful what you desire. The world has no direction in the storm. Don't follow the world. Have you ever been in a big place like Disney World? Or maybe you've gone to the Braves game for the first time. Or a big, you know, whether it's a football game in Athens or Atlanta or... You know, wherever it may be. And, and you're not real sure. 
And, and so, you know, it's kind of, you're kind of new at this, and you just see the crowd, you say, well, if the crowd's going to get, you know, I want a Chick-fil-A sandwich. You know, and they've got them here at the ball game, and I'm going, and, you know, this line is headed right over there to the field. And so you see this crowd, and this mass of humanity, and you just stand there like a sheep. Take a step up. You just keep following. And by the time you get about this close to Chick-fil-A, you realize the line turns right here and goes in the bathroom. <laughs> you know? You ever done that? You ever just followed blindly? Thinking, okay, well this is what, it's got to be this. But you're so prideful you won't ask. You're just going to do it because that's what everybody else is doing. And you end up in the absolute worst place. Listen, the world has no direction when it comes to life and its storms. It just doesn't. Some people are basing their life's message, their life's mention, uh, uh, a mission, off some lyrics of a song somewhere. Oh man, that just speaks to me. You know what speaks to me? Thus saith the Lord. When you get hyped up emotionally, you'll do stupid stuff. As we would say in the South, watch this. I mean, that usually happens right before an ER visit. Watch this. world has no direction. Stop. Stop being blind to the poise of the world. Break the mold. Look in verse 16. Nothing is easy outside of God's will. He said in verse 16, And running under a certain island, which is called Claudia, we had much work to come by the boat. Man, I mean, they had to work. Even in the midst of the storm, they're pulling, pushing, tugging. Nothing is easy when you're going outside. Remember what happened to the, the boat when Jonah went the wrong way? And if you look biblically, if you look at the map, you know those things in the back that's colored in the back of a Bible? That, you know, those things of antiquity called maps? Those of you my age remember using those. Those of you who are 30 and down have no clue what I'm talking about. But if you turn over there, it'll show you things of the Old Testament, New Testament, where the walls of Jerusalem, stuff like that. If you don't have it, you ain't got a real Bible. No, I'm just kidding. Not really. Um, Jonah was supposed to go to Nineveh. But where did he go toward? Tarsus. Which is, if you look on the map, is exactly 180 degrees away. He was trying to run as far and as fast as he could away from the will of God. Trust me. I've been on the road to Tarsus. And it is the roughest, toughest, hardest trip you'll ever go on. Stop. Hear me now. Just like another guy from Tarsus who Jesus said, stop beating your head against the wall. Stop kicking against the pricks. You're fighting the one who can change your life. Hear me today. In front of six flags, God spoke in my heart and I was 
blinded, not like Saul was, but spiritually God said, pull over and make a decision right now whom you will serve. I felt like if I drove to the end of that road in front of Six Flags, I would drive off into eternity. I literally did. And pulling over, I don't know the name of the motel that's there now, but back then it was called the Matador Inn. And I pulled my truck delivery, my auto parts delivery truck over in that uh, turn lane to pull into the Matador Inn and laying my head on the steering wheel, weeping with bitter tears, I said, Oh God, Your way cannot be worse than mine. If there's anything You can do with this broken, wretched life, have at it. Because what I've done is make a mess out of things. And I'm here to tell you, my life began to drive but it wasn't the world driving me anymore. It was the wind of the Spirit that began to drive my life. And I'm going to tell you, that's the greatest decision besides being saved that I ever made was to step into the center of God's will. Nothing is easy outside of it. Y'all with me? Any of you ever been like that? You ever went headstrong into what you had planned? You had all these grandiose plans and you were bound and determined you were going to check them off. One, two, three, four. And by the time you got to two, God says, that's as far as you need to count. Now you need to change plans. Change course and follow me. If you're still going on your plans, it's time to throw that out and get you a new map. Today, don't you wait. This is life and death stuff. And so look in verse 18. There's two types of loss in this text. He said, we be exceedingly tossed with a tempest. The next day they, they lightened the ship. They began to throw stuff out. Food and, you know, clothes and pillows and, you know, the stuff that you pack up when you're going for three days and it looks like you're going for a month. Ladies, you know, when there's a whole suitcase, you know, guy, he'll put all his stuff in a little duffel over the shoulder bag and a woman's got a suitcase about this tall, about this wide, and then she's got a whole suitcase just for makeup. Now, I wasn't talking about anybody specifically. <laughs> That's what they started throwing out. But you know what they began to throw out? Then they began to throw out the tackling of the ship, the stuff that made the ship work. Because it was either let it go and do the best we can or sink. We cannot bilge the water out fast enough because the weight of this stuff. And so the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. Isn't it amazing? Sometimes our own destruction comes at the tips of our own hands. Did y'all get that? The storms of life, these can, cannot be avoided. They just can't. You're going, listen, I don't care. You may go all the way through high school and all the way through college with a 4.0. More power to you. I'm all for you. I encourage you. I know that when I walk in and look at my five degrees, there's not a GPA printed on one of them. But here's what I'll tell you. You can do that and it will make you a better person. I'm not making light of working hard. What I'm telling you is 
Even if you go through with a complete perfect 4.0, there's still a professor that's going to make you work 10 times harder than you should have for that 4.0. There's one that's going to give you everything that they can give you and not with a good spirit. They're going to try to ambush you. They're going to try to sink you. There's going to be somebody that you work with that their life's mission is not to do their job and draw a paycheck, but to make your life miserable and try to get you to quit. You've all worked with them. I've worked with them. Mean, obnoxious. Listen, they don't even like their sales. That's the storms of life. You can't avoid it. But you know what? You can't avoid the storms of sin. These storms are self-induced. Back to that storm on the boat going toward Tarsus. Do you remember when they all began to cast lots? They began to question. They called on all the false gods. What did Jonah tell them? Why the storm had happened? He says, because of me. I brought this storm on. I brought this storm on. I did it. Because of my rebellion. I'll be real careful here, but I want to tell you the truth. Don't you hear me? Men, God's called you to be the spiritual leader in your home. Sometimes there's chaos comes into our home because we don't lead. Your wife may be the most godly. My wife, man, she loves the Lord and she studies the Bible. That's great, but she's not called to be the head of her, her home. God created her to benefit you and to help you. And she's just as equal and important. And we are to submit to one another, but we have different roles. There's biblical manhood and there's biblical womanhood. And women matter as much to God as men do. But men, you're going to be responsible for your house. And there are storms that come into your home because you think that if you work enough hours and provide enough good stuff for them, that just being a good man means working hard and making a good paycheck. I'm going to tell you something. Your kids, when you die, will not worry about how much money you left them, but how much time you spent with them. Are we more worried about them being a successful ball player or a successful Christian? Crickets. What if we had a travel Bible drill team? We don't even have Bible drills anymore. You know why? They fell out of Popularity, oh, nobody ever attends. Nobody does the Bible memorization anymore. Michelle and I talked about this the other day. Old preacher, hero of mine that's with the Lord, he said, you know, if the average Christian, and I know this is not the truth, but you just think about it. If the average Christian had to quote 10 Bible verses to get into heaven, reckon how many of them make it. But you're going to sing every note to a Hank Williams Jr. song about whether heaven's not like Dixie or not. Huh? 
You can sing every word to Tay-Tay and Beyonce. But you can't quote John 3.16 that changes the world. There was somebody before her and there'll be somebody after her. But there was never one before Jesus and there'll never be another one. Stop with these storms of sin. Verse 20, there can never be any hope apart from the light of Jesus Christ. Look. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, no small tempest lay on us. All hope that we should be saved was taken away. I'm going to do something I hadn't planned. We're going to stop right there. And I may or may not finish this next week. But I want you to think about this. What did he say in verse 20? We're going to leave right in the midst. I mean, this is like, stay tuned for scenes from next Sunday's sermon. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, a humongous, listen, a category five, bearing down, they're in the eye of the storm, the, the, the inner wall is hammering on them, all hope that we should be saved is taken away. As they come to the instruments, when the storms of life blows, I want you to understand something from verse 20. There can never, ever, ever be any hope apart from the light of Jesus Christ. Someone asked me not too long ago, let me back up. So I am a, I'm driving one of my heroes in the faith, Dr. John Phillips, to the airport after preaching a Bible conference for me. And all week, I would say, Dr. Phillips, have you read this book? And it would be a really good book. I mean, it was pretty current, you know, book I was using in seminary. And he said, oh, oh, oh no, brother, I have, I have not read that book. He was from Wales. And the next day, I said, well, well you know, I think, well, what can I relate to this guy? Because when he stood behind a pulpit and he opened his mouth God just came out. But when he walked out and you got in the car, he was this little horn-rimmed guy that was so awkward. And so I would try to make conversation with him. I was the host pastor, and I'd say, well, Dr. Phillips, have you read, have you read this book that this guy's wrote on systematic theology? Oh, oh, no, son, I have not read that book. And after three or four days of that, we're in the car and I'm driving him back to Pensacola and it's about an hour and 15 minute drive and we're going and I, I said ah, he's got to read this one. And I don't know if it was Posers or I don't know whose book it was and I said Dr. Phillips tell me what you think about so and so's book and he just kind of pushed up his horn rimmed glasses. He said my dear brother I do not read books I write them I thought, okay. I had someone just recently call me. He's excited, man. He was just excited out of his mind. He said, hey, have you read this new book? No, I've not read it. How about this one? Hey, this is, oh, I got this book. Somebody showed me this other day. Just come out just a couple months ago. 
That's good. No, I, I hadn't even heard of it. And he went on and on. And finally, I just told him, I said, can I give you one piece of advice? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, don't read anything that the author's alive. Start for the next year and don't read any books where the author is living. He said, what do you mean? I said, the greatest biblical Christian books out there, the authors are dead. I said, read Redpath, read Ravenhill, read Tozer, read Murray, read those guys. When you're done there, then these books will be a little older and see what you think about them. The point is, we get hyped up on the, the current thing, the new thing, the new thing. And the truth is that what we need to do is stay with the truth. Hear what God's got to say to us today. Because I'm telling you, storms are coming. The storms are coming. And the problem is, sometimes the storms are coming because of us. Will you trust Him in the midst of the storm? As a born-again believer, you'll trust Him. You'll come and say, God, whatever comes my way, I'm going to trust You. You say, I don't want to come because then... It may cause a storm. Listen, God wants the best for you. You, What do we say? You can't avoid the storm, but you can be prepared in your spirit. If you're saved and you've never been baptized, you're walking outside the will of God. The Bible doesn't say, oh, yes, it does. Yes, it does, just like it says you do have to go to church to worship God. Yes, it does. Don't challenge me on that. I will show you chapter and verse. God's Word says repent and be baptized. Not repent and get saved by baptism, but in believer's baptism, show the world outwardly and inward change. The Lord, the Bible also tells us that we are to join with the local church and be part of that church. Maybe God has called you to Eastside. You've been saved, you've been baptized, but you need to come here and join together. Because you know what? It's accountability, it's commitment. We need you as bad as you need us. We all need Jesus together especially if you're lost today. You don't know Jesus as your Savior. This is your day. Jesus died for you. Will you come and trust Him today? Will you trust Him and pray? Call out, oh Jesus, I do not want to go through life, go through the ups and downs and not have you, only to face the greatest of them all, the storm that does not end and eternity separated from God. Will you come and trust Jesus today? Stand and come. Stand and come. Come to Jesus. Come to Him, not me. I'll pray with you. Come to the one that gives you life. In the midst of your storm, He's there. You give life.